Good morning, church. It's once again an honor and a privilege to share the word with you this morning. Amen. I received, I received this word in October last year. And um, I thought, for a moment, I thought it was situational. It was for a specific purpose. And, and the Lord said to me over the last few weeks, he wants the church to hear this word because the timing is right for the church to hear it. Amen. Are you ready this morning? So I'm challenged by this word to be obedient towards it in the application in my own life and towards which God has given to us as a people. How do we stay faithful and how do we stay obedient to what he asks of us? Our challenge, church, is not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you. Amen. In December, I shared a word on the process. Do you remember that? Remember that? I think, Pastor, you shared um, the right response. And then a week ago, Noel, it was positioning oneself to, to speak, right? And I believe the, the word that, that it, God has laid on my heart dovetails so beautifully with what the Lord has been saying over the last few weeks. And that's why I'm saying, get ready. Remember, it's His purpose, it's His plan that we have the honor and privilege to be participants of. Amen. So for some context, church, again, I say I received the word in, in October, and the Lord convicted me. You know that, that sense? Lord, when you get a conviction from the Lord, you can't but help to respond, to say, Lord, what is this? You know what it was? It was about inaction on a specific issue. He said to me that my inaction and tolerance for what clearly displeases him has to come to an end. Sure, that's hard, eh? He wanted me to act on his word with a clear warning that if I didn't, that he would choose another who would be obedient. Now you can imagine, I'm sitting there in prayer and I'm receiving this from the Lord and it's the word, it's the word coming to me saying, Kirk, do something about this. That was sobering. He wanted me to confront the issue and address it. I will, I will be sharing what the Lord gave us in October and I believe the timing is right for you and I. I, want to, I just want to confirm this morning the words that have come out in prayer. The word essentially was victory. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Lord wants you and I to walk in victory. This is what he desires for us. It's not just situation from situation. It's day by day to walk in victory. Have you asked yourself, church, why do the people of God, and note I'm making reference to us, you and I, why do the people of God seemingly walk in defeat and just can't seem to take ground and live a victorious life? Have you asked that question? 
Uh, am I the only one that has asked that question before? I'm sure each one of us at time when things go really tough, we ask ourselves that question. Why, Lord? Why? Why me? Woe is me. Amen. Or perhaps asking the question now. I feel that God is saying that to be the generation that responds to his call, we are to understand his nature better. And that justice, say it with me, justice, is at the core of his nature. How do we know this, church? Why did Jesus then have to come and die on the cross for us? Because there was a demand for justice. There was a call placed for just God is a just God. Amen? Because for the remission of sin and because of his justice, there had to be a blood sacrifice. There are so many more examples in the word of God and his call for justice. We so many times perhaps forget that yes, God is a God of grace. He is. But he's just too. That is why we cannot live our lives receiving his grace and believing we can do as we desire and please without the acknowledgement of his justice. So we walk circumspectly before the Lord. Amen. We are therefore not exempt from the principle of sowing and reaping. If we sow dishonor, we reap destruction. If we sow sin, we reap death. The wages of sin, you know that. We sow arrogance, we reap resistance from God. We reap religion instead of relationship. And we can go on and go on. There's a, there's a, a phrase in the, in the Bible that says sell out. You know what it means? Pause and just think about this. Ponder on that for a moment. So for context, I would like to give and show you an example from the word of God of how his justice is displayed in dealing with the people of God, you and I. We're not talking here about the enemies of God, but you and I, the people of God. It's me and you. Are you with me, church? Are you with me? So I want to I say to you, um, this entire week, there's just been resistance upon resistance, uh, opposition. And I believe the enemy did not want us to share this word this morning. So I didn't know if I was going to be able to preach today um, because I was at two, two three o'clock in the morning, I was, uh, I was a little bit green. Um, so we're going we're gonna to do what the Lord says we must do this morning. You ready? So have you got your Bible? T take your Bible. We're going to do some reading this morning. So I want to warn you, this is, a, this is the only reason why I'm going as long as I am with this story. is because it reads like a story. So it's very good. It's very easy to follow. Very clear. It's very vivid. It paints a picture. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 4, verses 6. We'll start from 6. Have you got it? Now listen, if you don't have it, listen carefully. Try and paint the picture as, as, I'm, as I'm reading it this morning. Are you ready? Now when the Philistines 
heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord has come into the camp. The ark of the Lord has come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are, the, they are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines. They are geeing themselves up, right? Can you hear that? That you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter. A great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Just for a moment, just picture that. There's about 220 of us in here this morning. 30,000 people. 30,000 soldiers. I mean, this is a massive defeat. A massive defeat. Are you with me? There was a great slaughter, and there fell 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. This is, I mean, the losses get worse. Eh? And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line on the same day and came to Shiloh with the clothes torn and dirt on his head. I, I, I could just imagine that picture. This picture, he runs, he looks like he's been in battle. <clears throat> he's, he's full of sand, his, his clothes are torn, just to come and give a report. It gets worse. Can you, can you imagine that, just, just for a second? Now when he came, there was Eli sitting at the seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does this sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 90 years old. And his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am who, who come from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. <laughs> For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Can you imagine just this picture that's just played out? This is a massive defeat. This is such a tragic story. The people of God, the called out ones, the people who acknowledge God as their God, who serve in the temple, the people who lead the people who carry the ark, the very presence of God, or so they thought, just had been defeated. 
heavily defeated. First battle, they lose 9,000. And then in the end, they lose 30,000 foot soldiers. That doesn't sound right. The people of God and defeat is almost an oxymoron. Right? You don't, you don't use them in the same sentence. It should be the people of God, victory. Amen? The people of God, victory. What's interesting for me in the, the passage of Scripture is even the Philistines knew God's reputation. And they were intimidated and afraid, but took their chance, and Israel was defeated. You say, Kirk, how is this possible? How is this possible? Because I don't know about you, but I know when we're walking with the Lord, and He is with us, nothing can defeat us. How could God allow this? Where did it go so wrong for the people of Israel? God's people. What would make God choose not to intervene and come to the rescue of his people? In Afrikaans, you would ask, Wat gaan hier aan? Or my wife would say, Hello, excuse me, what's going on here? You see, one has to understand the root cause for why people who call themselves people of God walk in defeat. Is there somebody in the house this morning that wants to know and understand this? You want us to understand this? We, we, we're stepping into a new year. We've stepped into a new year. How many of us have made re New Year's resolutions? <laughs> Is it maybe because we've become tired of living in defeat? Selah. Let's find out what's happened here. If you've got your Bibles with you. So we're going to, that was the end, right? That's what happened with Eli, his sons, Israel. This is what happened before that. Are you with me? 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. I'm going to try and skip a few, but just follow me if as best as you can. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Interesting. And the priest's custom with the people was that they, when any man offered a sacrifice to the Lord, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was, being, was, was boiling. Then he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. Everything that belongs to the Lord. The priest took for himself. Are you following? So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest. For all will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, be reasonable, let's, let's do this first, right? Do, do this first. And then, then you can have as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, say, no, 
But you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men arbored the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen effort. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe to bring him into the year by, to, and bring to him year by year. When she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you your descendants from this woman, from the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, child Samuel grew before the Lord. Listen to this. Child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old. And he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. And how they lay with women who assembled at the door. Of the tabernacle of meeting. Sure. So firstly they, they take what is God's. Secondly they use their position and power. To do something horrific. Young virgins. They lay and sleep with, with these young women. Are you following me church? So he said to them. Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings. From all the people. Know my sons. For it is not good, a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. And for the sake of time this morning, I, I want to ask you if, if you could just mark this in your Bible. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12 to 36. What then happens thereafter? is that a word, they receive a word to say, your sons, Eli, will die on the same day. Did you hear it? Did you hear it in the first story? Your sons, Eli, will die on the same day, and your lineage won't live, you won't have long life in your lineage. Right? So that's, a, that's a, a record. And by the way, I'm cutting off your line from serving as priests. I'm cutting it off. This is the consequence. So why, why would the church, why would the people of God live in defeat? You see in this passage of scripture that God wasn't pleased by Eli or with them and his sons. So I want you to write this down if you've got a pen and paper. The first reason God allowed his people to taste defeat is that his people compromised by putting up with sin. Eli was aware of the sins being committed by his sons, but instead of dealing with them decisively, by stripping them of their positions and titles, allowed them to continue living in sin, bringing shame to his household and the house of God. In action. In action. Tolerance of sin. You see, what was being sowed over many years was indifference, compromise, and the fear of man. Where the word of man, the affections of man, are more important to Eli 
than the words of God and the relationship he had with them. It was his sons. He loved, he loved them. He, he told them, but he didn't stop them. He tolerated their behavior. He tolerated sin. He said, okay, this is what it is. Have you heard that? This is what it is? It, it, it is what it is? Let me ask you, the church, and bring it, it back to us today. If we evaluate for ourselves, have we compromised and have become comfortable with sin in our own lives? Doing the things we know displeases God or not doing that which He desires from us? Have we, for the sake of preserving the peace, tolerated some things that we shouldn't have? Not rocking the boat for ourselves and our comforts, which stops doing us from what He has called us to do. Have we allowed the affections of other things to steer us away from God? Like I said, he loved his sons. He loved his sons perhaps more than he did God. It was demonstrated in action. It was the fear of man instead of the reverent fear of the Lord. Not calling out sin in our own lives and constantly walking in repentance or not calling it out in others who we walk with in relationship because we value those relationships above that of the relationship with God. In December, we were reminded that each of us have an assignment. Turn to your neighbor and say, you and I have an assignment. Look them in the eye. You and I have an assignment. It's the responsibility God has called us to. And because of the fear of man, we could remain silent. And by doing or saying nothing, find ourselves partaking or being complicit in being disobedient. Are you with me, church? What's incredible about this passage of Scripture is that Eli knew about his son's behavior year in, year out. We know some stuff. We know some stuff. Can I get a witness? We know some stuff. And by not acting and not doing something about it, we remain where we are. Not secure in our identity in Christ so that others say what others say and think about us is everything. So we confirm and we conform. We don't say anything. We let things slide like Eli did. Amen? It's getting very quiet in here. I didn't mean to. I hear the Lord saying, it's time to stand up. Confirmation of the, the prophetic word this morning. It's time to stand up, men and women of stature. Backbone. With the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man. Rise up. Don't be silent. Act and be obedient towards God. No compromise. No compromise. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. Hear and do, even if it costs you. 
There's nothing worse than knowing and not doing, lest we disqualify ourselves. So the first reason why, we, why the people of God live in defeat is because of compromise. We allow things that we shouldn't and become comfortable and tolerant of sin. Are you with me, church? First reason. Are you ready for the second reason? The second reason that sees the people of God living in defeat is that we cannot develop or that we tend to develop a spirit of entitlement. Did you, did you see what, what uh, Hophni and Phineas did? They took the meat that was meant to be used as the, the sacrifice to God, the best of the best to God, and they took it for themselves. I'm owed this. No. <laughs> I almost want to say, um, so with, with my own, own two daughters, um, you have to say no, right? No is also an answer, right? So, so every time I say no, there's no debate because no is also an answer. Are, are you with me? Is there, are there people in the house that struggle with the word no? Or struggle with saying no to your kids? Uh, or struggle with perhaps seeing spoiled children when you say no, it's like you, you've, you've hurt them, okay? Something has happened. It's entitled. It's entitled. It's the spirit of entitlement. I cannot say no to you. I can, I can debate this. But Lord, you said no. Uh, Lord, really? Did you really say no? C can we not do this? Can we not do that? But listen, if I do this, can you do that? Isn't that the spirit of entitlement? No is also an answer. Turn to your neighbor and say, no is also an answer. It's a sense that we are owed more than what we, than what we receive. Acting like spoiled children, I've just said it, who gets whatever they want. No is also an answer. Demanding something for nothing. Not worked but expected. Am I hitting a few chords this morning? <laughs> I am important, don't you know? Do you know who I am and what I do? The rules don't apply to me. It's a refusal to accept and act responsibly. It's a place where it's a fight for perceived right. This is owed to me. What we believe is due to us is based on what we do. So Lord, even when I pray, Lord, but I do all these things. Can you come now? Can you now do this? On my terms. What I desire. When I want it. Are you still with me, church? It's selfish pride that takes over, where it's about me and what I believe is due to me. It shows up in, in selfish behavior. Today it might sound like this. Lord, 
I pay my tithes and offering. Where's my reward, God? I serve faithfully in church. Where's my healing, Lord? Demanding to be treated with respect because of a perceived title or position. Do you know that I am an elder in the church? I'm watching you. A worship leader, youth leader, a volunteer here and there. Do you know how many battle scars I have? It's a disregard for the principle of sowing and reaping. Wanting to reap where we haven't sown. Entitled. Even to the point of threatening violence. I mean, they said, they said to them, listen, just do what I say you must do. Otherwise, there will be consequences. Did you, did you hear that in the passage of Scripture? Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. The Bible says in this passage that they did not know God. These are priests serving in the temple. They did not know God. They were in the sanctuary, but not sanctified. Arrogantly instructing others how to worship but doing whatever they felt like doing. Perhaps behind closed doors, I don't know. Doesn't make reference to it in the, in the passage. But certainly out in the open, like Hophni and Phineas. Treating others with contempt and judgment, but not looking at themselves first. Church, can I teach you a saying? When did we learn this, this saying? It was probably about a year ago. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be jajarach. <laughs> you, can, you, you have permission to use that anytime you see this play out. Don't be jajarach. Not chacharach, jajarach. Right? You know what the spirit of contempt, uh, the spirit of entitlement does? It makes us look at others with judgment. Instead of recognizing who we are, the shortcomings that we have ourselves, and we, start, we begin to, to have live commentary on what people do and what they say. The spirit of entitlement. Hmm. The spirit of entitlement was clearly on display with Hoffman and Phineas. They were taking the best for them and for themselves. Position was important. Perhaps a belief that they had about themselves, pride. Maybe the, it's the esteem of others. Maybe it's the esteem of others that con the constant, Colin, you are fantastic. You are fantastic, by the way, but, but you know what I mean. Right. that they sought. What is owed to me, and I'm deserving of it. Auntie Orient, where are you? You shared with us last year and spoke that God spoke to you specifically about being careful about becoming selfish. You, you, you remember that? You shared that with us? And only thinking about our own needs and forgetting to fulfill the needs of others compelled by the love of God. 
being givers and not just takers. I want to share with you, church, um, I recently had uh, celebrated a personal victory by the grace of God and had people come up to me. And you know when you're in a, in a setting other than church and where people don't really understand that any, any success is actually due to the Lord. He's permitted it, right? Any, so you, you, you'll hear some stuff. So you'll hear, I heard the words, well done, um, you did this and you did that and that's why this happened. So I said, okay, um, okay, maybe they don't get it. Okay, so let me just be gracious and receive this, right? It's obvious, it sounds like the things that people would say. Until someone said these words, Kirk, you deserve it. You know what the Holy Spirit immediately convicted me? The Holy Spirit immediately said to me, no, no, no. If you got what you deserved, Kirk, you would be dead in your own trespasses. If I truly got what I deserved, I would be lost and facing an eternity in hell. I can never deserve a life with God in fellowship where the God of this universe wants to walk with us in the cool of the day. Nothing that you and I do in this life could ever entitle us for special treatment, honor, and esteem. It's by grace and by grace alone. Nothing we do for God, nothing. Nothing we do for God or for others will ever make us deserving of what he has given to us. I mean, nothing. It's a spirit of entitlement. Can we do this this morning? Can you raise your hand in this place? Just raise your hand. And say this with me. Spirit of entitlement. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Amen. Selah. So the second reason why the people of God sometimes can walk in defeat is because we have allowed the spirit of entitlement to grip our hearts. Amen. Are you ready for the third reason? <laughs> Don't rock the boat. Here's the third reason. The th third reason why the people of God walk in defeat is the rejection of accountability. Ooh, somebody say amen. Aina, sure. How many of us know that the authority, that authority is put in place by God as a safeguard so that we do not stray? We have a propensity, we have a propensity to stray. So what does God put in place? He puts the church in place, he puts covenants in place, he puts authority in place and says, we walk together so that we don't stray. Are you with me? Eli was his son's authority. 
And both his sons rejected their father's authority and refused to be held accountable. They wanted to do their own thing, use their title and esteem of man and the esteem of man as a platform to do whatever they felt like doing. Let me ask this question, church. Who holds you and I accountable? Have we rejected all kinds of correction? Who tells us, Kirk, ye mark no droog? You are wrong. Kirk, you're wrong. You're missing the mark, Kirk. Hello? I love you, but... Do you have people like that in, your, in our lives? Do we have people like that in our lives? Maybe a better question to ask is, do we want people like that in our lives? Do we keep away from making true connections with others? Because you know, these people are going to be part of your lives. And very soon, they're going to start asking questions around the gap that they see between what you say and what you do. Do we reject correction by others, become easily offended perhaps when they do? Can I say, church, we, we are living in the most narcissistic time in our history as a people, where it's all about self. It's a rejection of the truth. It's a I'm right and you're wrong kind of attitude or mindset. A distortion of the truth and a hate for correction. Now it shows up. No, no, I'm not, I'm not wrong. Neither are you. It's, that's just your truth and this is my truth. Have you, have you heard that? That's how it shows up these days. Hello? <laughs> the fear of man. Try and say something online that goes against the grain of society but the truth according to the word of God and see what happens. Have you, have you seen those? Who, who loves going to the arcade with your kids? I've, I've seen many of them. Have you seen that whacker? whacker I think it's a mole or a... Uh, have you seen it? Or oh, the crocodile. Have you seen it? So the light goes on and you whack the thing. Right? Isn't that what's happening to Christians? The light goes on and you get a whack. Eh? Whack them all. And then all of a sudden, soon we start to see Christians remain quiet. I'm not going to show my light anymore. Because I get whacked. Amen. So God says... And this is, this is the word we received in October. God says that this will be your end, Eli and sons. I will choose another. Samuel, a man of great stature, who grew with the Lord, who grew in the presence of the Lord. Intolerant of sin, did not do what Eli and his sons did. A respected man of God, where his words were backed up by his actions. An obedient servant of the Lord. We know what happened next, right? We know what, what happened, the kings then that came after Samuel and through Samuel. 
Many of you know the story of Samuel. The Lord called out to him. Do you remember that? The Lord called out to him. Do you remember what Eli asked Samuel? Samuel, what did the Lord say? Eli was 90 and he couldn't hear the Lord for himself. Let us not be like Eli. Samuel generation, rise. Samuel generation, rise. Men and women of stature, rise. Samuel company in frontline church, rise. In the name of Jesus, a victorious life is our portion. It is what is what happens when we walk with the Lord. Not one of records of defeats. Not going into another year. I asked earlier on who's made New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's because we feel glass half empty. Is this another year? Jeez, last year was tough. This year, we just have to keep things together. We just have to hold it together. That's not Samuel company. That's not the Samuel generation. Is there a Samuel generation that says, yes, Lord, in this house this morning? No compromise. Uncompromising. Hypersensitive to sin. Hypersensitive to sin. That roots it out and is ruthless about it in our own lives. A refusal to allow the enemy any room, any room, to take responsibility for what God has given us and what he has asked of us. Action. Not inaction. Action. Is there a Samuel generation in the house this morning? Men and women of stature. Men and women who aren't entitled and selfish and put themselves first. Men and women of God who don't ask, Lord, what can you do for me today? But instead, a posture of surrender that says, Lord, use me as you see fit. Whatever you desire, use me. Men and women who welcome and yearn to be held accountable. So that we remain in the presence of God. Faithfully giving answer to the assignment that has been given to us. Where are the men and women of stature? Favor with God and favor with men. Living victorious lives.